Uh, it's good to be here. I, uh, I get to hang around guys like Chris Wozinski and Trevor a little bit, which makes me always feel really good about my age. But Nick, who gave his testimony, I walk in the uh, lobby and I introduce myself and realize that it's, last time I saw him, he was probably about seven years old. And, and I, I, I've been up since, uh, I guess it's probably about 10.30 time, 10.30 on the East Coast. So I've had two incidents where I'm not feeling so good about my age. I'm feeling really old. So uh, it's good to be with you. I'm, uh, I came from Lancaster and... Uh, I, I lived in Phoenix for a handful of years. After I graduated college, I took a job in Phoenix and moved out here for about three and a half, four years. So, uh, and it was actually here where a guy scooped me up and got me in the word and helped me along. And uh, um, so, Phoenix has a lot of special places in my heart for that. And it's good to see some uh, some old familiar faces out here. Others, eh, but. Uh, it's good to see a lot of you. If you want to turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. Uh, when I read, I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard Bible. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5. Uh, it reads, Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. So this past summer, I was spending some time uh, in the book of Second Peter, and I, as I was walking through it and reading it and rereading it, the word diligence continued to kind of... Uh, percolate to the top and, and uh, pique my curiosity. And I wanted to know, well, what does the scriptures say? What do the scriptures say on diligent? Am I being diligent in the areas I'm instructed to? Um, am I not? If I'm not, what do I need to do to course correct? But before I could get to the answers to those questions, I had to ask myself, do I really know what it means to be diligent? I know in my mind, I have my thoughts of what it means to be diligent, and those were affected by my, upgr- my upbringing and my parents, uh, the time of history that I'm in, my schooling, my culture, my worldview. All these different things have affected my view of what it means to be diligent. What I didn't know is when the scriptures use the word diligence, does that match, is, is what my thoughts are, is it truth? Does it match up with what the scriptures mean when it says diligence. So first I had to get uh, to that to see if uh, I could answer that question. So in our time together, we're all going to look at what it means to be diligent. What do the scriptures say? Let's get down to the word and see what it actually means to be diligent to make sure we're looking at it correctly. And then we're going to take some time in, uh, in Peter to look at what it instructs us to be diligent on. And then uh, we'll wrap up, uh, hopefully ask ourselves some questions to see how maybe we're doing in these areas. Uh, But before we get started, if you can bow your heads with me and let's open up in a word of prayer. Uh, Father, we are uh, grateful and thankful for um, many, many things. And uh, first and foremost, we're thankful that uh, you gave us Christ. We're thankful that we can be here together this weekend. And uh, I just pray, Lord, that you would, uh, it's been a long day for uh, many of us. 
a long week. I just pray that you would give us uh, clarity in our minds. Um, I pray, Lord, that my words would be pleasing to you and that if they're not, that you would uh, have them fall on deaf ears. Uh, we thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. And in Christ's name we pray, amen. So diligence is a characteristic that's admired by today's world, today's culture, is it not? Um, the world applauds diligence, it rewards diligence, it aspires to diligence. Employers want diligent employees. Parents want diligent children. Coaches want diligent athletes. Uh, but most often, the world's diligence, where they aspire and reward and uh, encourage diligence, is what? Towards the world's value system, right? That makes sense. Um, Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. You don't have to turn there, but it talks, uh, uh, Jeremiah talks a little bit about um, what the world's value system is. He says, uh, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he knows and understands me. So our culture, um, in three predominant ways, I would suggest to you, aspires and encourages us towards diligence and riches and climbing the corporate ladder and making money and power and having a position. Uh, we're encouraged by our culture to um, be diligent towards, uh, towards that, towards those ends. And then also towards intelligence, the accumulation of degrees and having recognition that way. So those are areas in which the world encourages us to have diligence. But what does the scripture say? We know where the world says we should have diligence. What do the scriptures say? The world tells us, I pulled up some old uh, quotes. I got on Google and uh, Googled famous diligent quotes, and I got Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin is a very quotable guy. Diligence overcomes difficulties. Sloth makes them. He also says, diligence is the mother of good luck. Samuel Johnson says, few things are impossible to diligence and skill. Menander the Greek said, he who labors diligently need never despair, for all things are accomplished by diligence and labor. The Oxford Dictionary defines diligence as careful and persistent work or effort. Careful and persistent work or effort. Other definitions from dictionaries use words like uh, steady, earnest, and energetic effort, a persevering application. What's the Bible say? Proverbs speaks to the opposing nature of slothfulness and diligence. So you have slothfulness on one end, and you have on the other end of the spectrum diligence. Proverbs 12.24 reads, The hand of the diligent will rule, but the slothful will be put to forced labor. Then in verse 27, A slothful man does not roast his prey, but the precious possession of a man is diligence. Again, in Proverbs 13, 4, it reads, The soul of the sluggard, or the slothful, craves and gets nothing, but the soul of the diligent is made fat. So in these, and, and there's a little bit of sampling of what the scriptures say. In the passage of Peter that we open with, first, 2 Peter 1, verse 5, the Greek definition for the word diligence has a definition of to use speed, to make effort, to be prompt, eagerness, earnestness, carefulness, forwardness, haste, to labor, to study. 
What I mean by the Greek definition is 2 Peter was originally written in, in Greek. And when the translators came and said, well, let's, we're going to take that Greek word and what that Greek word means using all these definitions, what's the, what's the most logical word? What's the best definition? What's the best word we can use uh, in, in our language? And that was diligence. So it's very valuable to us, what, to get back and see what did the Greek definition mean? Let me read it again. To use speed, to make effort, to be prompt, eagerness, earnestness, carefulness, forwardness, haste, to labor, to study. So I would suggest to you, when, when I thought about diligence, I thought about just working hard at something, just putting your shoulder to the plow and getting after it. And that's definitely a part of diligence, but I would also suggest to you that it's not working hard for the sake of working hard, but working smart at something, giving careful thought, study, reflection to the task at hand, and then approaching that task with care and determination, with a sense of eagerness and with an unrelenting persistence. And I think we do the word in injustice if we don't wrap all that up with a sense of urgency. So to be diligent is to be careful and thoughtful, but it's certainly not to be slow. So diligence, uh, diligence is a character trait that's aspired to, um, like we said, both in the world's culture, and today's world and culture, but as well as in the scriptures. To be diligent is something we should aspire to as believers, as followers of Christ. Something we should think about and work on. It's something that we should give serious thought to. How do we do it? How do we do it better? And how am I doing at it now? But the question still remains, what should I be diligent in? As I desire to closely walk with Jesus, as I want to be his dutiful servant, what do the scriptures tell me to be diligent in? Not what does the world identify, what are the scriptures? So if that is our backdrop, let's, uh, let's dive back into the Second Peter passage. If you can look back with me, I'm going to read again Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5, and I'm going to read down through a number of verses here, so if you can read along with me. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance in the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied. So as you look at the first part of the passage, we're instructed to be diligent in what? In moral excellence, in knowledge, in self-control, in perseverance, in godliness, in brotherly kindness, in love. And why are we to do this? Well, if we look at the passage, Peter opens with, now for this very reason. Okay, Peter, what reason are you talking about? We have to go backwards. Let's go back to verse 3 and 4 to see what reason Peter's given us to be diligent in these areas. So backtrack with me now to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. It reads, Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything 
pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. So looking back to verse 3, Peter tells us what? That God has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Not some things, not most things, not most everything, but he has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. We are lacking, as followers of Christ, no opportunity. We're lacking no opportunity to experience, to realize life, to live life in the way that our Heavenly Father wants us to and has intended us for us to. But how do we realize and step forth and receive that which he has granted to us? What's it say? Let's look at the text. It says, through the true knowledge of him. So it's, the, it's through the true knowledge of him that we can receive, realize, and take hold of all that God has given us, granted to us, pertaining to life and godliness. So what other reason does Peter give us to be diligent in these areas we're going to talk about? Verse 4, he says, For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. So here again we see that God has what he has granted to us. These same words used in verse 3 when he talks about granting to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Here he's granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. Now note with me what it doesn't say, guys. It doesn't say, mean, or imply that we have automatically realized or experienced or received all that he had granted to us, right? It says that he's granted to it. It's not that we have automatically received it and taken hold of it, only that he's provided access for us to these things, that he's uh, provided access to live life the way that he wants us to, for everything pertaining to life and godliness, to his magnificent and precious promises. I'm from Lancaster, as you guys know, and if anybody's heard of Lancaster, my assumption is most likely that you've heard of Lancaster because it, we're home to one of the largest Amish populations in the U.S. So people travel from all over the country, even sometimes all over the world, to come to Lancaster to see the Amish, to see how the Amish live. It's been a while, but occasionally you run onto somebody and they'll be like, you Amish? I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not Amish. I just live amongst them. Um, but in the, middle of, in the middle of Lancaster, one of the places that many will stop is a place called Shady Maple Smorgasbord. Shady Maple Smorgasbord is located uh, out kind of in a rural location, but it's huge. It has over 30,000 square feet of dining area. It has seats over 1,200 for, uh, it can seat over 1,200 in this dining area. And in this place, there's a smorgasbord, a buffet that is like none I've ever seen. I mean, you have, it goes on forever. You have crab legs, meat, uh, you know, anything from Mexican food to mashed potatoes, any vegetable you want. Um, and then you get to the dessert bar, and that goes on for another mile. So this place just prints money, pulling people in and out to Shady Maple Smorgasbord. So I would suggest to you that, a, that one would think that a guy could go to Shady Maple Smorgasbord, and it would be impossible for him to leave hungry. It would be impossible for him to go there and to walk out of those doors and, and, and still have an appetite. But I suggest to you it would be. It is possible for a guy to go there, it's possible if the guy doesn't go there and he doesn't eat. Even though all these, this has been granted to him, even though this vast array of food, many, many hands are prepared to lay out for him, it's possible for a guy to go in there to sit down and not to partake 
all that, God, all that the uh, Shady Maples Mortgage Board has granted for him. And I suggest to you guys that it's the same with us. God has prepared and laid out this magnificent, magnificent spread for us. He's given us the keys to unlock and experience everything pertaining to life and godliness. He's given us his precious and magnificent promises. Why? So that we can live here on earth the way he wants and intends for us to. That we can be transformed. We can be conformed in the image of Christ. We can be sanctified as we are prepared for an eternity with him. Because that's why we're here, guys, right? In preparation for an eternity with him. But we need to do our part, and we need to pony up to the trough. We need to take our plates, fill them up, and get after it. But how do we do this? How do we grab hold and partake of all that God has granted to us? Let's look back at the text. In verse 5, which we've read now a couple times, but let's read it again. Now, for this very reason. Now, for this reason. So, in light of everything we just discussed, in light of the fact that God has granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness, that he's granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. Now, for this reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply... In the King James Version, it reads, add to your faith. Add to your faith moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. Now jump with me to verse 8, if you will. For these qualities are yours and increasing. If we are being diligent at working at and applying these qualities that he just went over, moral excellence, knowledge, and self-control. They will render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of Him, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, if these qualities of ours are increasing, if we're being diligent at pursuing these things, these qualities He's given us, they will render us neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of Him. Have we heard that before, the true knowledge of Him? The passage, it goes back to verse 3 again, right? God has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge of Him. And how do we get the knowledge of Him? We get the knowledge of Him. We grow deeper in our knowledge of Him and our relationship with Him by applying all diligence to moral excellence, to knowledge, to self-control, to perseverance, to godliness, to brotherly kindness, to love. So if we are to realize and receive all that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him, we need to apply diligence in these things. We need to apply with great care and supreme effort, with speed and eagerness. We need to apply with a sense of haste, with labor and study. In short, we need to be diligent in these areas of moral excellence, knowledge, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. And I suggest to you that I don't think these characteristics are just kind of thrown out there in a random order. I do think they kind of build on one another. The text reads, and Peter says, and in your moral excellence knowledge, and in your knowledge, and so forth and so on. So our starting point of what we're instructed to be diligent in is moral excellence. Or as the King James Version translates it, virtue. This is our ground zero. We need to be diligent at supplying moral excellence and virtue. Well, what in the world does that mean? We're to be about the business of doing what is right. To be moral is to do what is right. And how do we go about doing this? Well, let me suggest to you guys, the prerequisite is an obedient heart. Am I willing to do what the Bible tells me to do when I read it? 
because this is our moral compass, right? This is what tells us the difference between right and wrong. If a man is not willing to be an obedient servant of Christ and to do what the Bible says, he has already missed the first step, the first notch, if you will, in grabbing hold of and receiving all that God has given to him pertaining to life and godliness. And what is an obedient heart? Well, it's not a complicated or abstract idea or concept. We may try to make it sometimes. It's not a deep philosophical question. An obedient heart is simply doing what the Word of God says. Not when we agree with it. Not when we understand why. But doing what the, will of God, doing what the Word of God says all the time. Obedience is not agreement. I'll say that again. Obedience is not agreement. True obedience is having an attitude like Christ when in the Garden of Gethsemane, when faced up with the will of God the Father, not wanting to proceed with it, ultimately, what did he conclude? Not my will, but your will be done. My kids, I have, uh, I have a little guy who's two years old, and I have older daughters who are 11 and 9, and they take great joy in obeying me when they agree with me. It is peaches and ice cream. I mean, there's no problems and it's all smiles. However, when I instruct them or when I have them do something that they don't agree with, maybe they don't understand why they can't do something, maybe they don't understand why they have to do something, maybe they just flat out don't want to do it, and they have to vote against themselves, then there's a little bit more friction. But let me suggest to you that my kids only obey me And we only obey God when we vote against ourselves and vote with him. So true obedience is not agreement. And guys, as a side note, Jesus himself tells us uh, in John that this is how he knows that we love him. This is how we evidence our love for him. In John 17, 21, you you can write that down, but don't, don't have to take time to turn to it. Jesus tells us, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. If we want to love Jesus, we need to obey him. He goes on to say, Jesus, and he who does not love me does not keep my words. So guys, are we being diligent in our striving for moral excellence? Or are we being diligent as we seek to obey him? Next in the passage, we're instructed to be diligent in what? In supplying to our faith knowledge. The Greek word for knowledge in this passage is different than the Greek word for knowledge when we looked at verses 3 and 8 where it talked about the knowledge of him. Two different words, two different meanings. In 3 and 8, the knowledge of him comes from the Greek word meaning to become fully acquainted with, to understand, to know in a great variety of applications, to acknowledge. Jesus uses this same Greek word when praying in the garden before his crucifixion when he says, this is eternal life that they may know you, that they may know you, the only God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. In verse 5, in the knowledge we're to be diligent in, it's speaking about knowledge in the sense of information or facts. So we'd be diligent in our pursuit of knowledge. I don't think Peter's instructing us to be diligent in just going out and collecting the world's knowledge, is he? We're to collect knowledge, we're to be diligent in pursuing knowledge in the spiritual realm. Do we know the teachings of scriptures, guys? Do we know what his promises are? Do we know his commandments? Do we have this knowledge? Are we diligently adding this to our faith? Are we spending time in the word? 
Paul, the Apostle Paul instructs us in 2 Timothy uh, 2.15 saying, guess what? Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. So here Paul's instructing us to be diligent at being able to accurately handle the word of truth. Are we diligently working at coming to a mastery, to knowing this book inside and out, having a firm grasp of his word? Jesus, when tempted in the garden of uh, Jesus, when uh, tempted in the desert, what did he use to combat the lies and the temptations of Satan? He used scripture, right? Are we at a position, are we in a point where we have the ability when we're coming up against temptation, when we're dealing with life's issues, that we know where to go to in the scriptures to help us? Do we have that knowledge? Are we diligently pursuing that knowledge? What about our kids, our wives, maybe some men we're working with? When they come to us looking for help or guidance or instruction and dealing with some issues that they're dealing with, do we know where to take them in the word, give them the truth? Do we have that knowledge? Or do we simply... uh, Tell them what comes to the top of our mind, what our thoughts are. God tells us uh, in the book of Isaiah, he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So God tells us that we don't naturally think like him. His thoughts are far above our thoughts. And then if we go to Proverbs, Proverbs 14 and 12 says, uh, there is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. So not only do we not think like God, but the way that we do think seems quite right to us. And not only does it seem quite right to us, but it's the path to death. So newsflash, guys, we're highly unreliable. The question is, are we being diligent in our quest to accurately handle this word of truth? Are we being diligent at accruing knowledge and accruing God's thoughts? Are we being diligent about replacing our thoughts with the thoughts of God? What do we have next? Uh, Next in the passage is self-control. We are instructed to apply all diligence towards self-control, one of the fruits of the spirits. It's been said that an accurate barometer of a man's holiness is not how he acts but how he reacts to life's circumstances. To what degree in my life do I exhibit self-control? Do I control my emotions, or do my emotions control me? Am I the obedient servant uh, to my will, or am I the obedient servant to my appetites and my desires? Am I being diligent in my efforts to be a self-controlled man? Do I study and take inventory of where I have difficulties with self-control? Do I then consider and apply an earnest and concerned effort towards what strategies or protections I can put in place to help me avoid or eliminate the times that I do lack self-control? Am I being diligent at adding self-control to my faith? Or when I blow it, do I say a simple prayer of repentance and Simply hope that maybe next time I'll do better. Boy, I sure hope so. So do two different ways of uh, approaching it, guys. Are we being diligent at becoming a self-controlled man, or are we not? Next, uh, next in the passage, we're instructed to be diligent in what? In our persevering. 
Any of you guys have the King James Version? It reads patience. Be diligent at patience. But it comes from a Greek word with a definition meaning to stay under, to remain, to have fortitude, to bear or abide, to have a cheerful or hopeful endurance. So just as this word was used back in the Greek text, the same word is translated into James 1, which I'm going to read for us, but in James 1 is translated as endurance. So this Greek word was translated in my Bible, NASB, as persevering, and the King James is translated as patience, but it all means to stay under, right, to remain. And it's the same, it's the same Greek word when used in uh, this James 1 passage I'm going to read, and it's the same word when you hear endurance. I think it's James 1, 2, it starts, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfectly complete, lacking in nothing. We, uh, kids went back to school day after Labor Day, and like the last week of August, we went down to the beach for, um, we went down to the shore for a vacation. And every day, we marched down to the beach, and we set my wife and I set our chairs out, and the kids played um, just terrific together. And it was like a 78-degree day with the wind, some blue skies, but like just enough of a breeze to like not keep you from getting too high. You're just absolutely perfect. The waves like lapping up on my feet. I really didn't have a whole lot of care in the world. And let me suggest to you guys, at that point in time, I was not enduring. I was not enduring. I only need to endure when I have negative circumstances, correct? I only need to remain or to stay under, to have fortitude and persevere when I have negative circumstances. And when we talk about enduring and persevering, we're not talking about simply existing or surviving through negative circumstances. Remember it says, uh, part of the definition was to, to have a cheerful and hopeful endurance. When I'm knee-deep in difficult circumstances, am I simply existing and surviving, or am I persevering with a cheerful and hopeful endurance? Am I being diligent at it? Am I giving concerned effort and labor with haste towards not surviving through life's trials, but towards persevering with endurance? And isn't this how, isn't this how guys see Christ in us a lot, right? They see us in the throes of life and horrible circumstances, and they see that we're not simply existing or surviving, but they see that as we remain under this pressure that we have this cheerful or hopeful endurance. And they say, that guy's got something that I, I don't got. That guy's got something that I need. So are we being diligent at adding perseverance? And in our perseverance, apply all diligence in godliness. Are we applying diligence and adding godliness? Are we devout? Do we have a deep commitment in our effort towards holiness? And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. Are we diligent at demonstrating with a sense of urgency and care kindness to each other? Do we have a me first mentality? Or do we have an others first mentality? Do I show kindness when it suits my own purposes? Or do I show kindness at all times, regardless of whether it suits my purposes or not? Am I being diligent and showing great care and concern and urgency at showing this type of kindness to other people. And then, love. Are we being diligent at adding love? 
And what is love? I suggest a working definition we can use for love is doing what is in the best interest of the other person. Paul instructs us in Philippians 2, in humility, regard others as more important than yourselves. Jesus tells us, greater love hath no man than this, than what? That he lay down his life for his friends. Are we diligently pursuing to live a self-sacrificing life where we put other people's needs above our own? I don't know about you guys, but that comes pretty counterintuitive to me. It's hard enough to do some of the time, let alone to be diligent at trying to do it with urgency, haste, and care all the time. Let's turn back to uh, the passage and look with me to verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, the ones we just talked about and went through, if these qualities are yours and increasing, they will render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord and Jesus Christ. Is it the desire of your heart to be useful to the Master? Is it the desire of your heart to be fruitful, to bear fruit? God tells us, we just went through it, what we need to do, what we need to be about, what we need to be diligent about supplying or adding to our faith. And then verse 9, he says, For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain or sure about his calling and choosing you. King James reads his election. Be diligent to make certain or sure about his calling and election. So if we're not being diligent in these areas, not only will we be unfruitful and useless, but we are blind and short-sighted. And worse yet, the passage tells us we live our lives as if Christ has never died for our sins. Heaven help us. Peter recognizes this and implores us one last time. He says, be diligent. And to be diligent at what? To be diligent about making sure about his calling and choosing you. To be diligent, that make sure that we're saved, that we are of the faith. So very uh, serious matter, right? Peter concludes, uh, and when he tells us about being diligent here, he's telling us to be diligent in self-evaluation. Are we taking men? Are we taking time to regularly step back from the busyness of life and to take personal inventory of how we are doing in our walk with God? Are we being diligent at it? Paul tells us uh, separately, he tells us to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Are we doing this? Paul again instructs us in 2 Peter 13, 5, to test ourselves, examine ourselves, to see if we are of the faith. Same thing Peter's telling us to do here. And he's instructing us to be diligent at it, to, to apply great care with a sense of urgency. In closing, guys, What are we being diligent in? If we were to ask our wives or our children, if we were to ask our best friends and those who know us best, what would they say that we're being diligent about? Would they say that uh, we're diligent in our vocation or our job? Or would they say that we're diligent in striving towards moral excellence and knowledge? Would they say that you're diligent in the care of your lawn or landscaping, maybe you're diligent in the care of a prized possession, a car, or a boat? Or would they say that you're diligent in adding self-control and perseverance? 
Would they say that you're diligent in your financing and your investments and in building your balance sheet? Or would they say that you're diligent in godliness and pursuing godliness and brotherly kindness and love? Just as Peter had started this letter instructing us to be diligent and what to be diligent in, he ends it talking about diligence as well. In verse 314, he says, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. And then in verse 18, he wraps up and says, uh, But grow in the grace and grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Guys, let us be men who... uh, who are diligent in the things that God has called us to be. And that's all I have, and I'm open to any questions or comments if you guys have any. I've got a comment. Uh, you know, you, can't, you, you mentioned love. We got to the final thing for love, but you didn't spend a lot of time on the definition of love. And, and what came to my mind was the Bible's definition in 1 Corinthians thirteen four. Love and, and kind of, I love it because what you're talking about. Here's another whole section of the Bible that actually explains it. Mm-hmm. You know, it says love is patient, love is kind, it's not jealous, love does not brag and is not arrogant, it does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, it is not provoked, it does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. So we're trying to be diligent, and we want to get to that final thing, to the love part of it. Mm-hmm. There's the instructions also of what not to do or what to do. So it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Thank you. You guys let me off the hook easy. I like that. You guys just want to go get some cookies upstairs. That's what you guys want to do. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Christopher. Uh, Men, let the record show we finished way early tonight. And remember that tomorrow because what's going to happen tomorrow is we're going to go way over. That's just the reality. So um, we're in for a marathon tomorrow. So I encourage you to get lots of rest. It's going to be a a great day, but it will be a long day, and I encourage you to get as much rest as you can. Um, Upstairs, again, room 802, the penthouse suite. All you got to do is slide open the side door. If you get out of the elevators, it's the first room on your left. You'll see, like, kind of a little patio area. Go to the glass sliding door on the left, and it'll take you in there, and there will be lots of goodies in there for you. In the back... Uh, We do have complimentary earplugs, so if you're concerned about your roommate, um, grab a couple earplugs in the back and have a restful sleep. Um, The breakout facilitators, these men, if you'll come here before we're done for the evening, Ben Brown, Kevin Devine, Patrick Ng, Paul Freudenberger, Chris Hunt, Bryce Kopis, Craig McDowell, Mark McDowell, Micah Olson, Ryan Pitcher, Matt Ramey, Tom Rue, Chris Wolzinski, and Matt Calfin. If you guys could come see me for just a couple of minutes. Again, uh, Chris Lorello, stand up. 
If you have not checked in yet, Chris will uh, check you in and uh, settle things with you. And I think that's all we have. Tomorrow, breakfast will be at 6.30, uh, same room where we had breakfast. And then uh, we'll start here first thing at 7.30. So have a good evening, gentlemen, and we will see you tomorrow.